So I was not going to bring this up. Sack said, bring it up. No, 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 no. You're already creating mischaracterizations. You said you <laughs> want to bring it up. I'm like, sure. I don't, I'm not going to veto it. Go no, for it. I said, well, we have to bring up my COVID. Obviously, I'm the second bestie to get COVID. And I told you offline without the other two besties, uh, I will just say I got it at a social function, period, end of story. You said it's okay to talk about. Yeah, it's it not like your... I wanted to bring it up. You want to bring it up and I'm allowing it because I, I'm fine with it. So go for it. We all got something at Sax's event. You got COVID. <laughs> I got chlamydia. It's all fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you guys went to the downstairs rooms? Oh, <laughs> I went downstairs. I and I got gonorrhea. God damn it. <laughs> Chamath again. You promised. It was a great party. All right, oh let's, let's hear Jason's accusations. I've been hearing about There's it all no week in the chat. There's no accusation. It was a great party. Nah, you've it been saying no. it was a GOP super spreader. Jason, you were angry. You were angry and no. you were... Yeah, you were really mad at Sachs because you thought he actually gave you COVID even though Sachs had people test, every single person tested on the way in. Except you, J.Cal. J.Cal, you walked around the velvet room. I have. And you said, guess what? I'm a bestie. I don't have to test. Yeah. And you walk right in that party. <laughs> and guess That's what? So at, the end of the day, at the end of the day, there's the nothing. one person that flouted the rules got it. <laughs> Karma's a bitch, J.Cal. Nothing better personifies poetic justice I, as what totally. took place. I do not place blame on anybody for All hosting year round, you a rant, super You spreader. rant at Sachs. You make fun of him. You poke him. You what? poke the Republican bear. this. Blah, blah, blah. That, that, it was a Republican super spreader. It was a GOP super spreader. And then you go to his party and you run around the velvet rope and you don't get your test and you go in and you walk out with Why COVID. should I have I to mean, test? That was Why amazing. Should I have to it test? was really amazing. I don't wait on lines. I'm a bestie. I think he walked out with COVID because I think he walked in with COVID. There you go. He was the only one not to test. So who brought it I in? I did test. My daughter and I came to your wonderful party. It was amazing. It was delightful. And we tested. Yes. And no, you didn't. When when you I got the party, tested. you told us you didn't. You told exactly. us you didn't. You were either lying then, or you're lying, lying now. then, or you're lying now. Which one? I is was it? joking then. I hundred oh, percent tested with my daughter. Joking. You no, can ask you're telling the truth. Was on the line testing with me. I had the bracelet. I tested hundred percent. When I, I never... asked you when you got into the party and I said, "How'd your COVID tests go?" You said, "Oh, I pulled my bestie card." I walked around. I pulled my <laughs> bestie card. True. Uh, That's not true. That's true. That's no, what you said. That. You guys are getting up on me and making up bullshit now. No, you said that. Okay. I may, I may have made a joke, but I and 100% then, tested. Hold on, guys. And Bob. then I find out the reason why Jade wasn't at the party, she was home taking care of two sick kids. No, she wasn't. We yes, had she was. one kid. One so how kid do we had know nipples for that two it weeks. wasn't you? Okay. We know I know it was you, Fredo. <laughs> told I know it was you, Fredo. You brought it to the you party. You broke my heart. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here's what happened. I went to the party. Uh, I did test. There was a group of people that got there early, had tested at another event. They told me this. They had tested before they got there. And they told me that they had accidentally uh, brought it with them because they were the first to have a positive test result. So in all likelihood, it was that group. There's no, it doesn't matter who brought it because Omicron Omicron is going everywhere. What is it? Omnicron. Omnicron. It's a it's Omnicron. a character from Transformers. I don't even understand Omnicron. that. What do you mean they brought it with them? If they tested negative, they came they- from another location. They tested. They claim they tested. Then they were the first to come up that next day with a positive result. Which it takes means longer than twenty four hours to incubate. Right. So that means they must they have brought it. it with them. They they tested on Sunday and had it. They but were you're at the saying party they tested Saturday. negative at the door. They did not test at the door, they, they told me. They told me they tested party? the day before, 
or no, two days everybody before was coming. tested at the door, including no, staff, including vendors. There were people who were okay, turned around because they tested positive. Who didn't test. Oh, you're trying to blame it on. No, I specifically have tried to not say the person's name and you're trying to include it's them. It's going to get this. bleeped out. It doesn't matter. They were all negative at the time of the party. You hosted a super spreader. They didn't get it till like five days later. So they no, were not the earliest to test. You day. tested positive. You had symptoms before they did. Remember the okay, tickle I, in the throat? Guys, remember Tuesday. when he said last week he had the tickle in the throat? Anyway, thank you for giving me um, Omicron. <laughs> I am now fucking super. According to all results, I am now Superman. Have you tested negative now? Not yet. I, t I did a test yesterday. Nine days later, I'm still coming up positive. I had two days of symptoms. Not that any of you give a shit, you rat bastards. <laughs> it, you just laugh about my COVID. Nobody, at no point in this conversation did any of you say, how are you feeling? Was there any chance of death? <laughs> was there any chance I of death? I was triple vax. I had done Moderna. Yeah, at any point, though, did you feel like, oh, shit, I may have to go to the hospital. I may need to no, go to a ventilator. No, no. That's too bad. I felt the tickle in my throat on Tuesday. <laughs> you know his symptoms? He coughed three times. He sneezed twice. And he prematurely ejaculated once. Those were his symptoms. <laughs> Let your winners ride. Rain Man David Sack. This is going to be our prediction show. Last week, we did, of course, our 2021 Bestie Awards. Uh, how did everybody feel about last week's awards? I think it was wow, great. I listened to the edit. It's done quite well. Yeah, I was happy. It with was it. a fun show. I think we um, we all got to kind of talk about stuff we wanted to talk about, and uh, and it was pretty dynamic. I thought it was a good show. I liked it. It was, it was like a greatest hits. So uh, we're going to do some predictions for next year. Are you going to do a drum roll and a and a little scene as well? Yes. Okay, here we go. Yeah. Here's an opening. But Here's it's got to be like flying into the future, like going do, through do, space. Do, yeah. do, space. Do, yeah. Warp speed. Warp speed. <laughs> flying through the air. Warp wormhole. Yeah. Other side of the universe. Here yeah. we are in 2022. Okay. Biggest political winner, 2022. What did Tucker Carlson's former writers uh, tell you to say, Saxon? <laughs> I... okay. It never ends, Saxon. It never ends. It's never going to end. People were intrigued about what was the second battle about. That was the big debate. Which battle? Who knows? I can't remember the battles. Uh, battles. About the beep, beep. Which led to me writing the Google Doc about beep, beep. Oh, I know what it was. Chamath and I, Chamath and I deserve a bestie award for that. Who's yeah. your biggest political winner? Okay. Come on. Let's stop at the inside baseball. My biggest political winner for 2022, uh, yes. I predict uh, my man Ron DeSantis will be the big winner. He's up for re-election in Florida. He won uh, in 2018 with less than 1% of the vote. It was a real nail biter. This time, I think he's going to cruise to re-election quite handily. And become the national front runner on the GOP side. And the reason is because he had the right approach on COVID. He made the vaccine available. He made the yeah. antibodies available. But ultimately, he treated the population like adults. He let them make their own decisions. Yep. He kept businesses open, schools open. And I think the rest of the country is going to come around to his point of view because of the unstoppability of Omicron next year. And so I think that. DeSantis, who is much maligned and disparaged, will come out as the big winner a year from now. All right. Who do you got, Freeberg? Vladimir Putin. Um, I think Putin's going to benefit from the rising conflict between the US and China. Uh, the other day, there was a call between uh, Putin and um, 
uh, G and they said, uh, and, and Putin called G his dear friend and said that relations between the two countries had reached an unprecedentedly high level. And I think that his position um, economically as a trade partner with China and as a beneficiary of Chinese uh, economic prosperity will only grow as tensions between the US and China rise. Um, I think we're seeing that with some of his cavalier behavior with the Ukraine right now. And I think Putin will become a stronger player on the global stage, uh, particularly as it relates to his relationship with NATO uh, over the next year. Um, and he's been a little bit quiet the last few years. He was kind of, I'd say, suppressed with uh, sanctions and all the other nonsense that's gone on uh, to keep him at bay. But he could kind of rise up again in 2022 and, and he could become a, a real player on the, the geopolitical stage globally um, in a more meaningful way than he has in the last couple of years. I mean, you you white guys love Putin. It's crazy. <laughs> The whites love Putin. I don't love him. God, I hate Putin. I mean, if you ranked, if you ranked Russia GDP, do you know even? Do you have any idea where it even ranks? You know, Russia GDP scale? is probably. I mean, you guys for the amount of time you guys give it's Putin probably eight time, probably eight. I mean, no, no. What I think about it's in the Nigeria? Nigeria is like crushes Russia. Nobody ever talks about Nigeria. Has all the same inputs except they're black. Yeah, they just don't have two thousand nuclear weapons. I mean, as that if those is the work. big reason. As I mean, it's a fallen work. empire for sure, but they still have two thousand nukes. Yeah. The, they Land don't mass, the position, the energy that it provides you to only Europe, Eastern to Europe. I mean, Russia's geopolitically pretty uh, significant. Insignificant economically, significant because they have a madman running the country. I don't think he's a madman, but I, I'm just saying that, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of ink that's spilled about Russia. And I don't think anybody even takes a step back and actually looks right, at who where do you they got actually, for yours? It's actually not Putin, rank obviously. in the world, guys. Uh, I, my, my worldwide... Uh, biggest political winner for 20, 2022 is Xi Jinping. I think this guy is, uh, he's firing on all cylinders and he uh, is basically ascendant. So 2022 marks the first year where he's essentially really ruler for life. And so I don't think we really know what he's capable of and what he's going to do. And so that's just going to play out. You think he's the biggest political winner, really? Oh my God, I think, I think it's going to be a, he's going to run roughshod, not just domestically, but also internationally, because you have to remember, he controls so much of the critical supply chain that the Western world needs to be, I, I think you're completely survive, wrong. Let alone Com I think you're completely wrong. I think he's losing his power. He's scared. That's why he took out all these CEOs. He's consolidating power because he fears that they're going to win too big and then displace him. And he has massive real estate problems over there that could blow up at any moment in time. He could face a civil war there. I think he's totally isolated himself. Civil um, war? They don't even have every guns. Every major country is removing their factories and they're, removing they don't even this have dependency. Guns there. What are you talking about? What are they going to riot with? Uh, did you not see Tiananmen Square? Did you not see the riots in Hong Kong? Are you not paying attention, Shamath? Th there's been many riots in China. They Jason, just happened to kill those all the people. were crushed. And I, that's I'm not saying they would be crushed, but he still will have massive amounts of uh, i believe protests and yeah he'll have to I think, kill people i think i think the, the the bigger risk is is that china gets better for xi jinping but worse for everybody else in china it's exactly. already worse for all the billionaires uh, over there it's worse for the tech industry you've now got evergrand that whole uh you know gigantic debt implosion i think there could be contagion from china next year i don't Agree. think she's going to lose his grip in any way but i'm not sure china's going to have a good year next year going to be terrible. Um, I went with Ron DeSantis with you, Sachs. I think he's obviously um, a much more, um, he's a much more palatable candidate than Trump. 
And I think Trump is not going to want to run. And that brings me to my biggest political loser for 2022. As we segue, I believe this is going to be split between Biden and Trump, the two most important people of the last uh, four years. And I think Biden is going to lose the midterms. And I think Trump is going to get destroyed with this January 6th thing and uh, bow out and not run again. Who do you got for your biggest loser? Let me add an octogenarian to that, which is my, my pick for biggest political loser next year is Nancy Pelosi. I, there's sure. a red wave coming. The Democrats for sure are going to lose the House. That is baked into the cake. And I predict she will announce her retirement shortly after that. She has served you know, a couple of pretty consequential terms as Speaker. She's never lost a vote. But uh, with this whole Build Back Better, she forced all of her moderates to take a vote on $5 trillion in new spending, which they then lost in the Senate. And that's going to cost them some seats. So she contributed to, I think, her own downfall, what's going to happen next year. Is, Na- are you, is Nancy going to come work at Social Capital and you're going to give her uh, a bucket of capital chamal to work with to, to try to play the market? <laughs> By the no. way, Jason, who's the excellent writer you got from Tucker? Because I want to hire them. <laughs> All right, listen, I, uh, I got somebody from the YouTube comments who said they would, they would punch me up. All right, I got Biden and Trump. Nancy Pelosi, uh, and then who do you got, Freeberg? Who's your biggest political loser of 2022? Prediction. Mine's a little uh, depressing, but I'm honestly a little bit worried about the United States' influence on kind of a global stage, socially, politically, economically. And I think that there's a number of events that could catalyze kind of a precipitous uh, series of events um, that could really harm the continuing influence the U.S. has geopolitically. So, uh, um, you know, I don't really have an individual, but I kind of have the U.S. and its and its role on the global geopolitical stage. U.S. influence. U.S. influence, yeah. And you said you thought there was going to be this uh, potential tipping point, perhaps. Uh, do you see that being Taiwan or what? I've got a couple of them. I think when we get into our contrarian points okay. of view, I'll share some of them. Okay. Uh, Chamath, who do you got for your biggest political loser for 2022 prediction? Well, look, I, uh, I like your pick of Trump, which is not mine, but just to double down on this Trump thing, it's incredible to see that he's just uh, a bamboozler, you know, that's the same guy who's like, you know, telling people to not take the vaccine gets boosted, then you know, when he finally gets outed with this other scumbag, what's that guy's name? What's that other right? Knob. Sachs, take out your phone and go to speed dial. Just read it. <laughs> Riley, Bill O'Reilly, Bill O'Reilly, Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly. Yeah, that's you number know, four to speed dial. Those two dopes on stage are like, yeah, I got boosted. What about you? Yeah, I got tripled faxed. And, and then of everybody's course. booing them. I mean, they're just such. Watch what they do, not what they say. These guys if you're are entertainers. Shit on you know? the alt right. The great thing is they are phenomenal entertainers, but you can't trust a single word that they say. So, uh, Jason, I, I think that that's a pretty good pick. My pick is the progressive left um, as a class, because I think these guys are being exposed basically for just being laughingstocks. They're be quickly becoming policy jokes inside of Washington and in every city state that they run. They just can't seem to put one foot in front of the other. And they've been run amok with folks like these teachers unions who have really, really, really done a number on our children, which is now finally getting exposed in the mainstream media. And so all of these policies are just, they're not rooted in any sort of science or legitimacy. So they are, I think, going to pay a pretty heavy political price for mainstream voters in 22. You know what they remind me of those two guys? Like uh, the old guys from the Muppets, Statler and Waldorf. That's what like 
those uh, Trump and uh, O'Reilly are. Okay, biggest I think Biden business. can still. I think Biden can still save save a lot of his long term reputation. I think Trump's d- is. What done. would Biden need to do in twenty twenty two? Number Back one, to the thing. center. He needs to disavow the, the the progressives and basically shore up his party's ability to win back some seats and hold the line. And so, how would he do that? Be able to enter some of these places with some of this rhetoric that you know he basically was convinced would be necessary for him to not lose the progressive left. Mm. There just needs to be a conversation inside the White House where they actually go through the cold political calculus of, you know, my enemy's enemy is actually my friend kind of thing mm. and actually go back to the center. Yeah, he needs to pull a Bill Clinton and try and He needs to pull a Bill Clinton. Okay. And quickly too. I think it's way too early to conclude that the Biden presidency is over. I mean, yeah, I think I, I think they're going to lose Congress next year. That's baked into the cake. But he's still got two years after that to pull his chestnuts out of the fire. And if the Republicans overplay their hand and he tacks towards the center, you know, he can change his fortunes. Right. He can change his fortunes quickly. He's down a pawn, but he could develop the board. I got him. All right. I think the voice of populism is only going to swell over the next year. And um, that that's going to be the predominant force that's going to drive both the alt-right and the progressive left. And, it, it, you know, you could make the case that, you know, politicians that are in seats should be kind of disavowing these what we today are calling kind of extreme voices, but they're only getting louder. And the importance of kind of populist movements, not just in the US, but you look around the world. I mean, look at what's happening in Brazil, uh, various European countries. I mean, it is Wait, um, so you think populism is going to have a, a rebound in 2022. We're all saying that we think it's fizzling. Well, I can I just say Freeberg. Just I think populism swelling, and I think it's going to get louder. And oh, okay, low interest, low interest rates are simply keeping things at bay for now. And I think that's going to shift very quickly. In, Pop, um, but with, free bird, populism just means what's popular. And so I think there's a huge silent majority that's always stayed on the sidelines because they're not the ones that, that are, tend, to, tend to have a tendency to complain. But when things get important enough, they typically show up. And so, you know, we may find that actually centrism is what's most popular. I think populism is um, anti-elitism. And I think that there is a growing concern globally because of globalization that power and capital has been concentrated in the hands of a few, that the voice of the majority is we want to be shared, we want that to all be shared equally. And that's what's driving populism around the world. And it's in the US, you know, manifesting in different ways on the left and the right. And you'll see this in in other countries around the world. Um, But I don't see the fundamental driving forces changing there until and unless we have massive taxation and redistribute wealth in a meaningful way or some massive shift in government, um, the, that, that voice is going to get any quieter. I think it's only going to get louder. And there may be perturbations between here and there of like what it looks like, but it doesn't seem to be going away. That, that, that's, that's just to me kind of the, the, the underlying driving force. And it's okay. manifesting with different political stuff right now. But interesting. Um, it's not, it doesn't seem to be silenting. Biggest business winner for 2022. Chamath, let's start with you. Small businesses. Um, ah. I think what we are starting to see is that these monolithic monopolistic megacorps aren't everything that they're cracked up to be. And so there's going to be a certain amount of lock-in that we will tolerate. There's going to be a lot of taxation and policy that prevents its further growth. And all of that opportunity accrues to smaller companies. And so in general, I think that if you're on the side of the David versus these Goliaths over the next year, you're going to have, or well, frankly, over the next several decades, but starting really next year, you're going to do really well. And the middle companies, 
So the folks that are neither huge nor are small, let's take a, you know, an example like a Shopify, $100 billion market cap, but by no means is it a trillion dollar market cap. Their success comes from enabling, you know, arming the rebels. And so I'm a huge fan of these enabling this enabling layer for small businesses, both offline and online. Who do you got, Freeberg? Um, I am actually going to go with Stripe. Stripe is a payment sure. technology company based in San Francisco. Uh, Stripe raised money earlier this year at a $95 billion valuation. Um, the highest valued IPO, tech IPO in history was Alibaba. They were valued at $230 billion when they went public. We are hearing rumors that Stripe might, you know, kind of or think that they bankers think that they might be able to break that. And so Stripe's IPO could be the biggest tech IPO ever. Um, I think they've been talking about doing a direct listing. By the way, I don't know the guys. I don't know the investors. I, I don't know the company. I'm not an investor. So I don't have any information whatsoever. I'm simply an observer and, and talk to people in the market. But it sounds like they're going for direct listing. And we could see that become the highest valuation tech IPO ever. And then they will become kind of the golden child next year. Uh, and, you know, kind of be be part of the you know the the top of the top what do you got sex i got rise of the rest meaning the parts of the united states that are not the traditional california and new york centers of industry and wealth i think it's a trend that's been going on but it's going to keep getting bigger next year if you guys saw the net migration numbers by state they're absolutely stunning stunning so and it's the it's the zero tax states that are just booming right now it's states like florida and texas and tennessee and on and on it goes at the huge expense of california and new york i think that trend's only going to pick up steam now that salt is dead i think there was a hope on the part of many people that you know, trump got rid of salt but and then the democrats were supposed to bring it back and then aoc rejected it it's not coming back. And what that means is that if you're in, say, uh, California, for example, at, you know, with the salt deduction, your effective tax rate was around 8%, not 13.3%. Now it really is 13.3%. That's a huge increase. And the politicians in California don't even realize that the tax rate has effectively gone up to the end taxpayer. And, uh, and, and the quality of life isn't any better. We're not getting anything more for that. And so I think this X is going to oh, continue. That's the, that's the subtle math that they actually really need to understand. That 500 basis points, you can overcome that if your life is 5% better in enough ways where you're like, it's fine. And the reason why people are leaving is they feel that their life is actually much less than 5% worse. Right. If the, the trash quality of life doesn't up, justify it. You know, your your windows are getting smashed in all the time. Safety. Your kids are, you know, depressed and need counseling because of the way that the teachers unions locked them out of school. You're just like, forget this. I can't do this anymore. Right. And I gotta add those two numbers, yeah. Here, here. So that, that's what that's what people really need to appreciate. I don't think it's the actual effective tax rate, but it's the delta of how poor your quality of life has gotten over these last few years relative to the tax you pay. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And then one other effect that I think plays into this is the reshoring of American industry, which is not happening in places like California, New York. It's happening in places like Texas. Samsung just announced a $17 billion investment in a new chip uh, foundry in Texas. Here, I'll post this. And there's a lot of things like this happening. So as we decouple from China and bring our supply chain home, that is going to be a big factor in the rise of the rest. Love it. Love it. And it's great. It's great for America because the wealth does need to be more evenly distributed. It can't just go to tech and finance elites like in California and New York. Yeah. All right. Um, I had two. Uh, Disney was my uh, biggest corporate winner for 2022. Disney Plus crushing it. Parks raised prices. People want to go to the parks. Spider-Man just had 
I think the number two or number three all time uh, opening in a pandemic, which is crazy. That IP is going to continue to work for them. John Favreau and uh, David Fiolini, I think is how you pronounce his last name, both crushing it with Mandalorian. Boba Fett, one of the great characters uh, from our childhood, now uh, is going to have his own book of Boba Fett starting on December 29th. Is that today or tomorrow? Uh, tomorrow. And so I think Disney is going to have a huge surge. I think they're undervalued. But my, my number one for this category of biggest business winner for 2022 was millennials and Gen Z. I think that they became completely empowered and independent. They shook off the participation trophies and their entitlement during COVID. They realized that they have skills that are valuable. They're sought after. They learned how to make money. They traded crypto. They did stock trading. They're doing shorts, puts, whatever on Robinhood. And they're just not impressed with people in power. And they increasingly want to build shit and make money. I think that those two generations have woken up. And I think they're going to be the biggest winners in 2022. Because dovetailing with your SMBs, Chamath, I do think, uh, and I'm seeing it across my entire portfolio of companies, uh, you try to hire somebody and they're like, yeah, but maybe I can no, just start you, my own you company. And Sachs are actually saying a flavor of the same thing, actually. Yeah. Because all these SMBs aren't going to happen in New York and San Francisco. They're happening all over. America and there are people that are taking empowerment into their own hands. There's tooling for them and there's opportunity, economic opportunity for them to build businesses on their own and basically just say, you know, F you. And to nothing will America. build your confidence that's, that's to dovetail with you, Sachs. Nothing builds your confidence like moving from one city to another and having that's a very empowering thing to do when you're just like, yeah. you know what, I'm gonna just leave and go somewhere else. I'll make it myself. So I feel like they are uh, super impressive to me. I really believe in I really believe in this because the three of us got there in, in totally different ways. But I think it's roughly all the same. We thing. might be triangulating around a trend here. Biggest business loser for 2022. Uh, I'll just give it real quick. I think crypto projects that actually don't deliver a product in 2022 are just going to be um, lost. I think this idea that people are going to bet on things that don't exist in the real world or don't actually have applications is going to end. It's time for crypto to put up or shut up. And I think the crypto projects that do that, which a number of them are starting to, are going to soar. But it's going to be a big shake out there. What do you got for biggest business loser in 2022, Freeberg? I agree with you, actually. That was mine. What? I, yeah. Oh, wow. I said crypto bubble will burst. There's a lot of scammy nonsense going on. 90% of these projects okay. you know, are not going to yield value and fundamentals. And I also think that rising interest rates are going to affect uh, the crypto market. There's a lot of leveraged trades into the crypto uh, assets. Uh, those will start to delever uh, as these uh, interest rates shift up. And as a whole, you'll see a large percentage of them go away or decline in value, but a small number will continue to grow in value. Just like we saw when the dot-com bubble blew up, there was a number of companies that survived. Most of them did not. And the few that did survive ended up becoming worth 10 times what the current market value is. And I think that that's still possible with these crypto projects. But uh, I'd say 90% of them are probably going to start to blow up next year. What do you got, Chamath? Well, I guess I'm fading you guys. And I'm also fading implicitly Friedberg's pick of Stripe. But my biggest business loser for 2022 is Visa and MasterCard and traditional payment rails and the entire ecosystem around it. So I think that this is the year you can put on what probably will be the most profitable spread trade of my lifetime, which is to be short these companies, and that anybody that basically lives off of this two or 3% tax, and be long, well thought out, web three crypto projects that are rebuilding payments infrastructure in a completely decentralized way. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that what you say won't also happen. 
both that Stripe will have an incredible IPO and that a lot of these scammy crypto projects will go to zero. However, if you read the white papers of these crypto projects, and you systematically put together a, a framework, I think you can be long those. And you can be short Visa MasterCard, because I think this is their peak market cap. And for those of you who don't know, fading and sports betting, taking the opposite side of a bet, taking the opposite team, I guess. Man, Visa's market cap is half a trillion dollars, huh? It's incredible. It's, it's a completely contrived duopoly that and doesn't need to exist. And what does Visa mean to a young person? And Ma MasterCard's almost $400 billion, So they're a trillion dollar combined market By cap. By the way, you have, to, you have to understand that the canary in the coal mine here is pretty significant. The most important thing is Amazon. Earlier this year, Nick, maybe you can post this decided to just shut Visa off in the UK. Oh, yeah. Now, Bing. Amazon is not going to do something like that, in my opinion, unless it's a test of what they can do all around the world. And again, going back to this idea of arming the rebels, there really is no need today for all of these small businesses to sit on top of Visa, MasterCard and Amex Rails, it's unnecessary. And so it'll probably get developed in the developing world first. This is why I think, you know, Focusing in markets like Nigeria, to me, are way more exciting than talking about right. these, you know, these fading Western European countries. Who cares? Right. This is where this stuff will happen. Um, it's not to say that those, are, those other companies can't, tr you know, trundle along for a while. But when I say, you know, we'll look back in 10 years and their market caps will be materially lower, anybody in those traditional infrastructure and rails versus anybody in this new infrastructure and rails will be it will look like a no brainer. Ten Do you consider the buy now pay later companies like a firm and upstart or whatever? I don't know if upstart fits in that category. But some of these buy now pay later businesses as being the alternative to the traditional payment networks? Or do you think no. that it's a different business? No, I, right now, I think what what buy now pay later is, is is a rate arbitrage, right? When as you said earlier, rates are very, very low. So the cost of capital is low. But it again starts to habituate the consumer experience to I don't need to pay these usurious rates to these three credit card companies to facilitate a transaction of money that I already have or money that I'm good for. That's the big idea, right? And so when you translate that into Web3 in a good project or a good series of projects, you're not going to need these companies. And so it's going to, I think, eviscerate trillions of dollars of market well, not cap to mention you also companies. have in between these two venmo and cash right. app which are not crypto but they certainly as brands mean more to young well, this people is why like do you think, than do you visa think, and mastercard yeah do you think block used to be called square is a good pair trade against visa mastercard in this context yeah i like it you know i think that 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 starts to get closer to to the truth my my perspective is you can kind of short anybody who's public because anybody who's public can really only be public or will go public because they feast off of this artificial two or three percent transaction fee. Everybody does. The companies you want to be long are those private companies in crypto that you can read the white papers of, whose protocols have utility, and who's building some element of infrastructure that replaces a traditional business. So as long as you can kind of build those things up, Balaji, for example, had a bunch of tweets this weekend where he was like, you know, I, he has this idea for a mirror table. What is that? That replaces, you know, cap table management, right? Now, why is that important? Well, it's because it touches all of these really important KYC, AML, investing laws across all these countries in all of these places. It's just a very simple example of where the new company that actually builds that capability of these mirror tables 
will do so at virtually no cost. And so it'll have a 50 person team. And so they're not going to have offices all over the world. Their cost basis will be, you know, an order order or two orders of magnitude. Well, I mean, let's face it, Visa and MasterCard became a tax. It you took can't them decades with these and companies. decades to have that power over folks. And, 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 and they, but I think a firm does break that. A firm breaks it because yeah. the people who are selling then decide, you know what? We'll give a little bit of a discount here to get more people to buy. Go ahead. They, they were the classic network monopoly network effect monopoly business right like they yep. got the small businesses they got the credit cards and uh, by extension the consumers on the network and ultimately they created these these absolutely locked in networks um but as with all networks complacency kind of you know drives innovation and this fueled innovation that we're seeing is now starting to figure out ways to not just crack their way into the network but to replace them with an entirely different model last point on this this is not one where i think this disruption happens slow i think it happens swiftly Swiftly being five to 10 years? No, like in a year. Yeah, Chamath's oh. point is really interesting because there's, you know, there are several billion people globally who do not have credit and who are unbanked. And so if you think about where this is more likely to come from, it's more likely to come from an sure. innovative model in those markets that then ultimately finds its way into the developed world versus, you know, trying to break apart Visa and MasterCard and go get these small businesses to switch out of them and so on. Uh, today. So it's it's a really interesting. Okay, Sachs, what do you got? I don't know if it's biggest loser, but the thing I'm most worried about is in 2022, the Fed is going to stop quantitative easing or so they have said they are I guess March will be the last month in which they do this QE. So starting in April, there won't be any of this liquidity pumped into the system. And so I think the the losers are going to be any of these asset classes that are heavily dependent on or have benefited from all this excess liquidity sloshing through the system. Uh, it's true that the stock market, I think, has already priced in rate increases and an increase in the discount rate. But I don't know if markets can fully price in a reduction in liquidity. We don't know exactly what that's going to look like. And so if liquidity is reduced next year, I think that could reverberate through a bunch of markets, including you know everything from sports cards you know, and collectibles, which have gone through the roof, to art, to crypto, to you know maybe um, some growth stocks, and on and on it goes. So that's my biggest worry: is what happens when the Fed stops QE. And so the biggest loser is markets because of uh, quantitative. The markets kind of. that have to get off drugs, basically. Okay, most contrarian belief. Uh, Sachs, why don't you tell us your most contrarian belief? Since uh, I'm sure that you workshop this with the contrarian Peter Thiel himself. <laughs> It never ends. Yeah. I mean, so I, well, I have a couple of them here, actually. You want to wait and go after everybody else? Sure. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I don't even know if this is contrarian or just unconventional, but I think that all of this pressure in on the progressive left will manifest in the chosen one, AOC, deciding to step up and run against Schumer in the mm. primary in June of 2022, mm. and she will lose. Wow. That's a good prediction. I like Jamath's prediction. That's a bold one. Yeah. That she would lose is bold. Well, well, sorry, just to give a little bit of color in this, like, let, let's just assume that she doesn't, right? And, and you know, th she shouldn't. But let, think about where she's sitting. Build Back Better is over. There's an enormous amount of stuff happening right now where, you know, it looks like the progressive left is really going to be put under pressure. And it's almost as if, if she's really going to be the standard bearer and she needs to do something quickly. Otherwise, she's going to have to wait until she's 38, you know, 
she's you know another six years from now because it's not unlikely that she's going to run against Kristen, you know, Kirsten Gillibrand. So this is kind of like it may be a, a moment where out of her sheer frustration she steps up. And then we will see whether Freeburg is right or I'm right, whether the populism is really around the left or the populism is really around the silent majority. What do you got? Sex. I think, it's a good, I think that's a very good prediction. Um, in, in a similar way, I predict that there will be a strange new respect for Bill Clinton in the Democratic Party by the end of next year. Why? Because after the red wave, there'll be a recognition that they need to move towards the center, they need to triangulate. And, and Clinton was the one who provided the formula for doing this. He dragged the Democratic Party back to the center after they were losing elections. And the other piece of this is going to be that it's already the case in polling that Hispanics and Asian Americans now are swing voters. And I think you're going to see in November 2022 that they go for Republicans in big numbers. And so the idea that the Democratic Party can just coast to uh, election based on demographics, I think that theory is going to be imperiled. Yeah, and I so, like it. And yeah. so they're going to be looking to, to Clinton and maybe not so much Obama as the uh, as sort of the predicate they should be you know aspiring to in the future. I think what's important about that is those groups of people, I think, are offended by the free money, get something for nothing. They're hardworking immigrant people who have pride. They don't want handouts. And then you have this left white liberal maniac saying, no, no, you're poor. You need handouts. You don't you shouldn't work. You need handouts. You're you know, uh, and I just think they don't buy it. And that's why I think they're going to go to the Republicans because Republicans are hardworking and freedom loving. And what was Clinton's big tagline in his campaign? He, he said that he supports people who work hard and play by the rules. That yeah. was that. So great. That's tagline. the message the Democrats got to refine right now. They seem to be on the side of basically drug addicts. I mean, you know, people who junkies are contributing nothing and pitching tents in the middle of public spaces yep. and, you it's know, participating look. in open air drug markets. Yeah. What do you and, got? Freeburg? And, and sore losers. Don't forget sore losers. Yeah. And hysterical. Freeburg? And hysterical people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, being hysterical, just never good luck. If you'll bear with me, I have I have three, but um, uh, I, I couldn't really pick. So the first one is, I think, uh, and I shared this on the pod the other day, I think we'll see the start of um, great global conflict. Uh, we, we, we often rationalize the series of events that, that catalyze conflict after the fact rather than recognizing that there was emotional conditioning that allowed it to arise in the first place. I think we're in a state today where the conditioning is such that we're more inclined to engage in conflict globally than we have been in a very long time. I don't know if it's kind of the conflict meter or what have you, but you know, you could see proxy wars uh, uh, and, and proxy conflicts that arise sort of like what we're seeing, you know, uh, maybe something in, in the Ukraine, maybe something related to Taiwan, but this is primarily predicated by the fact that we've got uh, kind of this inflationary environment and the rise of populism will force the kind of domestic policymakers and legislators to say we should do something that's active and something that will allow us to unite our nations to go and get into a conflict somewhere <laughs> or more likely to do that than not. And so I would say that the conditioning is there to, to see something like that happen. And, and so we're not kind of thinking, hey, next year is going to be a year of war. Uh, and that's why it's contrarian. I, I think that there may be war that, that we're not kind of paying attention to today or that will su surprise us after the fact. The second thing is I'd say China um, may solidify its position next year. And this is going to sound a little crazy as a leader in climate change mitigation, whereas it's historically been um, considered uh, kind of the primary foe 
uh, against climate change. And, and there's a couple of behaviors we've seen come out of China recently that I think, number one, remember, China's a very rational actor. They, they do analysis, they make decisions based on long-term investments and thinking. They recently announced that they're going to build 150 new nuclear reactors over the next 15 years at a cost of roughly $450 billion. That's about $3 billion per nuclear power plant. The U.S. is currently spending $30 billion building two power plants in Georgia. So the Chinese have figured it out. They've also publicly declared that they're going to be completely carbon neutral with their economy by the year 2060. And they're making the investments through these nuclear power plants to demonstrate that they're actually on the road to do that. And there are a number of other infrastructure initiatives that are meant to help them achieve significant reductions in, uh, in carbon by, by 2040. So, so let me just point out why this is important, because right now everyone thinks China is the foe. They're causing climate change. They're the biggest problem. Imagine if over the next year, some of what they're doing pays off and everyone says, my gosh, China is leading the world in climate change mitigation. Their influence socially and politically will rise. And this, this gives China a very strong kind of position you know, on the global stage and with, with kind of people around the world thinking instead of China being a foe, maybe they're the leader and the U.S. is the laggard. Um, and that creates a, and my, my third is very random, which is some sort of natural catastrophe. <laughs> we, we never account, uh, you know, all natural catastrophes are very low probability, but very high severity. If you multiply the probability by the severity, you have what's called the expected loss. We always undervalue the expected loss of massive catastrophes, uh, natural catastrophes. We haven't had one in a while. Uh, it's a very low probability bet for me to say, hey, maybe we will. But if we do, um, it's certainly underappreciated in markets today. And so when these kind of, you know, black swan type events occur. Did you, uh, did you watch Don't Look Up on Netflix? Is that why you're coming no. up with this one? What is that? It's a new movie about a... It's crap. Don't watch it. Uh, it's, it's polarizing. Let's leave it out for now. Skip okay. It. Um, Adam directed it. I'll watch it. It's crap. Uh. My most contrarian belief is, I think this is contrarian, is that American influence and exceptionalism is going to soar. I oh, believe that, that is contrarian. Uh, I think we've empowered this next generation. As I s talked about earlier, millennials, Gen Z are ready to be independent, to build shit. And I think Gen X is going to start taking over from boomers, as is what's happening in this very podcast here as we start to hit are we our Gen prime X? years as executives. Um, and then all these boomers are retiring, as Chamath has pointed out over and over again, and they're going to pass down their wealth, which then creates a perfect storm of a ton of capital, a ton of energy. Lots of new ideas, a different Jake, perspective, what are, what and the economy we? is going to boom, uh, and we will prove once again that we're the greatest country and economy in the world. JKL, you're not, you're not a contrarian. You're what we call an optimist. Yeah. Okay. And then I'll add to that. JKL, what are we? Are we Gen X? We're Gen X, yes. And the fighting over COVID, abortion, guns, social justice, and all this stuff is so s exhausting, not that these are not important issues, that I think everybody is going to move to... Let's just start respecting and building and solving problems. And I just think American exceptionalism will be um, all the that big happens in 2022. Wow. <laughs> I just think that that is my contrarian belief for 2022. Everybody believes it's a primary race. You, you, <laughs> I think everybody believes it's coming apart. I don't think yeah, the, anything's coming apart. The whole I think it's arc be of the next century year. in a year. I think it's going to be a great year. I think it's going to be a great year. Can I give my second contrarian prediction? Oh, God. Here we go. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, that's saying. good. I okay. Hear no, it. Here, here it is. I think the media is going to the media is going to pull a total 180 on COVID. Okay. Mm. So after pumping out COVID fear porn for two years, yep. they're going to change their tune next year. Um, some of the things you're going to hear: we need to live with COVID. It can't be eradicated. They're even going to say it's it's more like a cold or a flu. They're going to say that politicians uh, can't be expected to stop it. 
They're going to memory hole their support for lockdowns. We never supported that. Um, and why is all of this? Because we have an election next year and more Americans have already died from COVID under Joe Biden than Donald Trump. That's what a pretty did you say? amazing memory stat. hold. What was your term? Yeah, you've never heard of the term memory hole. It's what the press oh, memory does. hole. I think yes, you said hold. memory hole. Memory hole. Got it. Okay. Yeah. But did you guys know that that more Americans have already died from COVID under Joe Biden than under Donald true? Trump? That's that insane. is stunning. Yeah, it is stunning. Are you sure? Now, yeah. Hundred percent. Now his writers tri- triple fact checked it. Yeah, they did. They did. No, look, look wow. it up. Um, and it's certainly it's going to be even more true. It's after on infowars.com. You can look it up. Omicron wave. Now, look, I don't blame Joe Biden for that. Sorry, wait, why is that? Because Trump had no vaccine and Biden has had vaccines and everything else. And maybe it's the consistency of the I mean, number have you guys seen we've dying? had a consistent, you know, one to 2,000 people die a day. Yeah, it's been 1,400 a day. So maybe it's just yeah. that consistency. In the U.S., yeah. I think it's, it's because of the Republican states that refuse to do no, any please. mitigation. Okay, let's keep going. Look, I don't blame Biden for that. I don't blame any president of the United States. Nonetheless, Biden campaigned on the idea of he's quote unquote shutting down the virus. Um, he, he and the Democrats claimed to, that they would be able to eradicate it. That was the entire basis for all these COVID restrictions. Now it's, it's the case that it can't be done. Everyone's realizing that they're going to have to move the goalposts and memory hole ever saying that. And so the Democrats desperately need COVID to be over. For the 2022 midterms, therefore, the media will say it's over. Well, you started to see it already because the media is probably scratching their head. They were the ones trying to force these lockdowns, you know, basking in the glow of whatever press release the the Centers for Disease Control would put out. And all of a sudden, the CDC just had to do a complete 180. And when they used to force 10 day quarantines for these positive tests and people with COVID, they just backtracked to five. And why? Well, it's because there's nobody to work. And the Delta CEO asked for it last week. And now they're, I, I don't know if that's exactly and, true. And but the CDC ultimately really is just in the hands of big business. And so when big business needs these workers to come back, you know, they, and it probably pissed off a lot of unions who would have loved to have just had a positive test and stay home forever, the teachers unions particularly. Here we are. So right. this is a really tough situation. Well, and look, and to be clear, the message that the media is going to deliver about COVID next year, it'll be the first time I agree with it. But it's completely dishonest of them to pretend like they were never in favor of lockdowns and they completely inflated the threat and created this whole hysteria. And next year, they're going to have to back off it. But also take into, no account, take can into account, Sachs, that this new variant is much less deadly. So it would be logical for people to take a less severe but position Jason, on it. No, hold on, Jason. We don't know whether there are more variants to come in the future that could we be much worse. But we, we also don't know what could be subsequently deadly, leaked. So the and point it's is, a blocker. the CDC makes a decision, broadly speaking, about everything. They're not making a decision about Omicron. They didn't say if you have Omicron, because not as if they really even test right. for it. I'm just talking you big can picture stay for to Sachs's point. The reason they shortened this is because they didn't know what they were doing before. They don't fundamentally know what they're doing now. They're making best guesses. And the problem with these best guesses is that they're inaccurate and it forces enormous amounts of waves of havoc every yeah. time they make uh, a decision. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm and talking so about Sachs's prediction that the media will flip. A logical person, including everybody on this call, because of Omicron taking over for Delta and being a natural blocker, it would be the logical thing to do. So in defense of the media, which I'm not apt to do, it's logical for everybody to take a different approach right now because Omicron is 40 times more contagious. It blocks Delta and it's become the dominant variant. I think that right now the media is confused. They're not sure which way to go. So, you know, there's a high probability that they tack towards what Sachs is saying. But if you read the New York Times article, 
It was through gritted teeth they presented the fact that the CDC changed the guidelines. Yes. If you read that article, it was like pulling teeth. The what do you mean when confused. you say the media? Can, can you just define that a little bit? It's everybody but Fox News. Come on. It's the elite prestige media. It's the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, MSNBC, on and on and on. Do you think there's a bigger audience with the aggregate of those publications you just mentioned or the direct to the consumer publications that are happening on YouTube? Of course, and they're, all, they're being dis- disaggregated because of their dishonesty. So does it matter? Yeah, of course, it still matters because they still, still have a lot of influence. They do. And no offense to everybody on YouTube, but We haven't gotten yet to the economic viability where enough people on YouTube can cover the broad spectrum of things that are important, and then the mechanisms and incentives to amplify it. So for example, that's a good point. We still need CNN. There was a woman on CNN, Nick, please post the clip that you we posted in the group chat, talking about the incidence of suicide rates and depression in our children, and what happened when they were locked out of school for two years okay and i am not going to stop talking about this because this is the issue of our times these are our kids well i want to get to underreported stories uh as well jan oh for me i mean my kids hear me rant about this every day so i may as well tell you guys it's it's the crushing impact that our COVID policies have had on young kids and children Mm -hmm. uh by far you know the least serious risk for serious illness uh, but I mean, even teenagers, you know, a healthy teenager has a one in a million chance of getting in di- and dying from COVID, which is way lower than, you know, dying in a car wreck on a road trip. Uh, but they have suffered and sacrificed the most, especially kids in underrepresented at risk communities. And now we have the Surgeon General saying there's a mental health crisis mm-hmm. among our kids. Uh, the risk of suicide, girl, suicide attempts among girls now up 51% this year. Uh, black kids uh, nearly twice as likely as, as white kids to die by suicide. I mean, school closures, lockdowns, cancellation of sports. You couldn't even go on a playground in the D.C. area uh, without cops scurrying, uh, getting, shooing the kids off. Tremendous negative impact on kids. And it's been an afterthought. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's hurt their dreams, their future, learning loss, risk of abuse, their mental health. And now with our knowledge, our vaccines, uh, if our policies don't reflect a more measured and reasonable approach for our children, mm-hmm. they will be paying for our generation's decisions uh, the rest of their lives. And that, to me, is the greatest underreported story of the past year. And I don't see it being talked about anywhere. We talked about it first. You know, I posted that link about the decrease in IQ points. Yep. And then we started to talk about it there slowly. And now it's trickling into the mainstream media where they're forced to talk and about it. And who's impacted? It's not rich kids. It's, it's not middle class kids. kids. It's all of our kids. That was kids. a fantastic clip. That CNN clip the was fantastic. The poor kids are the, ones who are, are the ones who get hit the hardest. They can't do supplemental. It's they don't not have just that. that. Don't, don't minimize what this is. This is every child. I yes, agree. Disproportionately but who gets affects, hit? Yes. It, it, it the, the data was that it's disproportionately affecting minority kids yes. okay and that could be because of the sociology of the parents but jason you can also have rich resources. colored parents okay jay so i'm not just, just saying color parents i'm saying all poor kids white poor kids who are in public school all poor kids they're getting hit the minority hardest minority kids of all kinds but frankly the point poor is kids. it's all kids of all yes. kinds okay yes. so yes. we it's, don't need to subsegment this to make this issue go away and seem smaller than it is we have literally put tens of millions of ki- children yes at risk because of our behavior yes I'm agree with you, and I'm not trying to minimize it or make it a smaller issue. Your point is that none of the smaller audiences um, or smaller new media folks on YouTube or their podcasting 
have enough breadth to really make an impact by talking about this topic? Is that what you're saying? That the mainstream media is needed to hit the broad base? No, what I'm saying is very specific. The people on YouTube cover what the people on YouTube want. Okay, right. the people on podcasts cover what they want. They're all very narrow. You mean they're narrow niche. Okay. Yeah. There is no set of incentives that then threads that together and then amplifies. And right. In the absence of those two mechanics, right. those are software mechanics and economic mechanics that need to get built in. What we lose is signal. Right. That, in my opinion, right now, over the last two weeks, is the single most important signal. And it is nowhere except for this one clip on CNN and the discussion that we had two weeks ago. Because the YouTube, I, I just want to be really clear on this, because the because YouTube, YouTube is full of react videos, right, and, and video so, games, which is fine. And the consumer missing, yeah, is talking about this issue and actually holding people accountable. And who, right. who should be held accountable? In every single county, where it was basically a board of education that was trying to shut these kids out, who stood up and who told that story? Nobody did. And if it was trying to be told, it wasn't amplified correctly enough. And so what happens is after two years of damage to all of our kids, tens of millions of kids, there's a couple of fissures. One fissure was on this podcast, which I'm very proud of. Another fissure was this one few minute CBS, clip on it was CNN. A CBS. CBS. It was a CBS, CBS whatever. It was a Sunday show, yeah. But my point is, these are the things that really matter and we haven't figured it out yet. What you're saying, and I think it's a really important point, is that as a YouTuber, as a podcaster, you pick your niche that you can hit home on and you hit home over and over every week. But no one says, I'm going to broadly talk about the issues of our time and make well, sure. No, no, that's not true. We do. We do. But it's, it's a right. small subset. But I well, think the bigger picture subset. here is I mean, that now, I'm going to dovetail you know, with listen, There's more than a million people a week that listen to this. We've we far exceeded MSNBC's average viewership. We're probably going to pass, you know, most CNBC shows and some CNN shows by the end of next year. So we will do it. But there's not enough. There needs to be more of us. We're an opinion show as much. You know, we're not a, a traditional reporting show, right? In the sense that like go out, gather data and facts and present them. Or do you disagree yeah. with that? Not that they do that anyway. I disagree with okay. that. I disagree. I actually think we do a decent job of filtering for the truth. And the reason we're able to do that is because of our friendship, we can hold each other accountable and call out the bullshit when we see because we don't have incentives. We don't have anything to lose, right? I don't think there's what an incentive there here lose? for us. But right. I want to build on something that Sack said. See, it is very hard for the media to hold this dissonance because they're saying everybody needs to shelter in place. COVID is, you know, this huge thing. They put the death count, they, they put the case counter up. They won't talk about deaths in ICU. They won't talk about who's getting COVID because they have an incentive to get more ratings through COVID or Trump. And they took that. And then it's a narrative violation or it's cognitive dissonance if they say at the same time, everybody needs to shelter in place. This thing is really deadly, but we should send our kids to school. So they couldn't take that position, Sachs and Chamath. They couldn't take the position that, oh, well, kids could go to school because that would go against, hey, everybody needs to shelter in place. And they picked, I think, COVID is this super deadly thing. Everybody has to shelter in place over I th children. I think you're giving them way too much credit. I think what happened was they had a position to re-aggregate lost power. And they took it. That's real sinister. And they did not think about the true consequences. And it may not have happened at any one individual reporter level, but when it ladders up to the editorial board and the decisions of the people who run the mastheads of these organizations, they made the decision that currying and organizing power was more important than shining a light to do the right thing. Specifically in this case, the thing that aggravates me the most is around our kids. Yeah, I think they were going for ratings. But anyway, we can keep debating it. Well, the one thing we can say for sure is they created a hysteria 
whether their motivation was ratings or a power grab or political advantage. There's probably all the above, but the bottom line is they wanted to create a hysteria. And they've been pumping COVID fear porn into the population for the last two years. But my prediction, like I said, is that it all flips next year. Why? Because there's an election and the way the media figures out what it's going to, what its narrative is going to be is they start with the election result they want. And then they reverse engineer the narrative that they think is going to help achieve that election result. And if it means contradicting what they said yesterday, they will memory hole what they said yesterday in order to get on board with the new narrative. That is what's going to happen. I do think you're right. But I think I just I want to I don't want to lose this thread because this has nothing to do with COVID, meaning COVID was a symptom of this. But if you really thought that the organized mainstream media had the right to be, you know, has a has a purpose to be on the right side of justice. Where were they when when school boards were stripping out, you know, advanced placement programs for kids? Or where were they when they were shutting kids out? Or where were they when they were engaged in eight hour yeah, debates? They can't go against about the whether a, you know a, a male can be on a committee, you know, because he's gay but he's not, you know, black. I mean, these were the issues that stopped our children from literally walking into the classroom every day. Well, I mean, and they just those could, stories were not told, and they didn't happen just in one place. They happened all across the country, and this is where those folks had a responsibility because they also probably had kids, and they didn't do a thing about it. That one issue for me really drives me crazy. Let, let me ask a probing question here. We assume we're going to get out of this, um, you know, pandemic in 2022. Knock on wood, no more variants. What is the obligation and technique, the strategy? to solve what we did to these kids. And I just want to put it out there, we don't have to answer it now, but I think we could spend an episode That's just a very difficult that. question, Jake Hal, that I think you well, need soci sociologists and psychologists well, and educators We also need entrepreneurship answer. and ideas, and we need to have a dialogue so we can yeah. bring them on. But if we're going to spend all this money on Build Back Better, how about we build back the 20 lost fucking IQ points that these kids have, and then we do something about the depression Hallelujah. and anxiety they have. Hallelujah. Jason, we're Hallelujah. never going to get there because the teachers unions won't even acknowledge that learning loss exists. The well, leaders, I think we need to break the teachers unions, period, full yes. stop. Oh, let me make a prediction in that regard next year. There's going to be a ballot initiative in California to for school choice. And the way it's going to work is that I think there's something like $13,000 spent per pupil in California. Yeah, that's right. That's the right there's number. Gonna be, there's going to be a ballot initiative that says that any parent who wants to send their kid to an accredited school can get a voucher for $13,000 from the state. That's Absolutely. what's going to be on the ballot. I Competition, it, let's go. I predict it will be the big, big election in California and maybe the nation next year. And I think more than $100 million will be spent on both sides of that thing. And I, I can't predict it's going to win. I hope it does. This is a topic worth fighting over. This yes. is something important to fight over. Yes. Absolutely. It's school choice because you know what? Absolutely. These guys pulled the wool over everybody's eyes. They slipped them the mickey. They hoodwinked them. You need choice. We know this as entrepreneurs. If there is no competition, things do not get better. These school unions are complacent. Well, let's make a resolution. Let's make a New Year's resolution because I think we all agree on this. Um, I got approached about this ballot initiative. Let's there, do it. It's, it's going to happen. There's going to be, uh, like I said, a major ballot initiative next year for I'm school in. choice in California. In. Let's, Let's all take some all-in summit it. money and I'm put in. it towards Let's that. Let's get behind it. All-in summit profits will put towards this. Yes. Let's do it. Let's put like, I'm in. I'm in. Let's put some money behind this. I want to tell you just to more personalize this issue because I really think a lot of people listening struggle with this. I entered the pandemic with rules 
I had rules about devices, I had rules about, you know, how much time they could be online, I had rules around physical fitness, right? I had rules around diet. And it all went out the window. And it became this thing where it was like, feed them the best they can. Sometimes they eat lunch with us, sometimes they have to eat lunch by themselves, because I'm stuck on some stupid zoom, you know, back to back in these dumb meetings, because these kids aren't at school. Their only way to interact with their friends became video games like Fortnite, where they could at least talk to their friends. Yeah. But then it became an addiction where they were doing it for hours and hours. Yep. Uh, and Gross. now I'm trying yeah. to, and you know, they gained weight because they weren't physically active. And I am trying to unwind, as is Nat, as is my ex-wife. We're doing it together as a team. It is so hard. Absolutely totally hard. So yeah. hard. And these then are I think, yeah. what about all these people who don't have the access to the resources that I have to try to unwind this? And then what happens is I send my kids to the school and oh, they may have a headache. Guess what? They get sent home and then their brother and sister have to get sent home too until you can test and be COVID negative for a day in a row. And so there's yet another day of school loss. Totally and nuts. We're, we're, and then it's like, this is supposed to be one of the best schools in the country. It's not. Totally And then nuts. I think, what is every other school like then if this is what I, if this is what all you know, right. my, my children have to do. I with. think we should make this, we should have this as a major theme for 2022 for the pod. I think it's a we very important We need to hold topic. educators and teachers unions accountable. Absolutely. School boards accountable all around the country to fix this. This is your responsibility. You need to fix it. Listen, with we us. held police officers responsible in the last year or two. We've seen this, you know, policing being really like a spotlight put on it. Well, let's put that same spotlight on teachers and administrators and schools. They'll and never do it. They'll never do it without competition. You, that's, the only way to competition. Hold, that's the only way to hold their feet and to you fire. Can, you know what? What I learned, Chamath to build on what you said was, I just decided to get a teacher. And, and, I, and obviously, I have the means to do it. It's, I know most people don't. I certainly didn't have it growing up. We could barely you know, afford to exist. But I think homeschooling is a viable option. So with that 13K, I can tell you five parents um, who are in an underprivileged area can take that five times 13 and take that, what is that, 65K and put it together. And for 65K, they can hire a teacher and they can do a better job with those parents and a teacher for those five kids. I guarantee it. So let's go to best performing asset of 2022. What do you got, Chama? This is simple. This will be battery metals, uh, lithium, nickel, cobalt, okay. graphite. Put rapid them in a fire. basket. Like it. You can be along these things. And I think okay. you're going to Rapid fire sacks. What do you got? Best performing asset. I just said Series A venture because it's pretty unoriginal. It's what I do. I think growth got a little bit overfunded and overheated. And I think the seed stage also, there's like so, there were so many new seed mm -hmm. investors. Again, it might have been um, partially because of excess liquidity. So Series A is still the choke point, And I think it's still the best area to invest in. Innovation's not going to stop. There's going to be great Series A investments next year. I. Also picked early stage startups because uh, that's where the magic happens. I picked early stage, like right before Series A. I think spacking, uh, direct listings, raising money, people coming down to do the Series Bs, all of that is creating a pull for more startups. And the founders are getting very sophisticated in terms of finding product market fit and scaling globally, um, you know, or earlier. And that's what's creating these great big outcomes, whether it was Uber or Facebook, both figuring out and Airbnb how to go global quickly. So my choice for best performing asset of 2022 is still early stage startups. Freeberg, what do you got? 
Obviously, best performing asset in terms of a multiples basis, you're never going to beat seed stage investing, certainly. Um, but, uh, you know, I tried to highlight uh, and continue my uh, kind of contrarian bet that we're going to see increased global conflict next year, again, driven by, you know, incumbents trying to hold on to political office and increase uh, inflation and fueling economic growth and the American response to China. So in a world of increased global conflict, I think assets that do really well are energy commodities and energy stocks. I recently made a big bet on energy stocks, uh, defense stocks, and it used to be a gold it could be the case that Bitcoin, uh, you know, sees a, a, a role as being a defensive uh, position in portfolios in a world of, uh, of war and conflict. So th- those are my kind of macro um, right. themes for, for asset. Most anticipated trend of 2022. What do you got, Jamal? A trend you're anticipating in 2022? Peer-to-peer payments, um, the destruction of traditional rails, uh, it will come out of Africa. Great. Sachs, what do you got? This is where I had the civil war between progressives and pragmatic liberals. Um, so building on what Chama said, you're already seeing this in the feud between London Breed and Chesa Boudin. That is really going to, I think, blossom next year. We have not heard the last of that. You saw it in Philadelphia where the mayor, uh, Michael Nutter, took on Larry Krasner. I think you're going to see it in New York City between Eric Adams and these Manhattan elites. Um, and you also saw it in Washington, D.C., where the progressives were blaming Manchin for you know the losing the build back better so this is a civil war that's going to continue and uh what jamath predicted with aoc versus schumer would would certainly play into that so uh it's grab the popcorn it is the the trend i'm anticipating the most all right there you go uh do you anticipate a similar trend with like the alt-right trumpians and desantis and that kind of thing breaking up how do you see that playing out not not yet because um trump isn't on the ballot in 2022. So I actually think the Republican Party is going to be surprisingly united in 2022. I think where the trouble might come in is when we have a Republican primary in 2023. And especially if Trump runs, then, you know, all hell's going to break loose. So who is it? Who are yeah. the two people who would be most viable against Trump in that 2023? Ron DeSantis and Ted Cruz? Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley? That's going to be that's going to be fireworks. Freeberg, what do you got? Anticipated trend? My biggest uh, anticipated trend for 2022 is going to be a gold rush in biotech into um, what I think will become the cover story on magazines throughout the year that humans have discovered the fountain of youth. Um, And this will arise from uh, these investments in what are called Yamanaka factor based cell reprogramming methods. I've talked about this on the pod in the past. A few years ago, uh, scientists identified that four chemicals could trigger gene expression in cells and get those cells to effectively revert to being stem cells. And more recently demonstrated that using uh, lower amounts of those chemicals and other what are called kind of epigenetic epigenetic factors can trigger partial cell reprogramming, which causes cells in the body to act youthful. As a result of those discoveries, an absolute gold rush is now underway. Um, more recently, Yuri Milner, Jeff Bezos, Arch, and others put a billion dollars to seed a new company called Altos Labs to pursue therapeutics in this area. Google has individually funded a company called Calico, led by Art Levinson, the former founder and CEO of Genentech. And uh, just recently, uh, Blake Byers and Brian Armstrong announced their new company called New Limit with $100 million of their own personal capital. All of these uh, companies are pursuing the same uh, effort which is um, basically causing cells to be youthful, to regenerate in a youthful way. Um, and as a result, you see kind of organs um, and, and systems in the body uh, act more healthily. 
and there will be magazine covers and, you know, uh, 60 minutes article stories and all sorts of stuff will start to happen in 2022 saying, oh my gosh, as because the amount of money that's gone in in this year is going to cause breakthroughs and discoveries to start to get published about next year. And when that starts to happen and the media and the PR cycle start to kick up, you'll see this become the year of uh, Yamanaka factor-based uh, reprogramming. It'll, and everyone's saying it's going to be the biggest gold rush um, in biotech since recombinant DNA um, was used by Genentech in the, uh, in the 80s and 90s. All right. And uh, I had uh, most anticipated trend of 2022 being the accredited investor laws are going to change and evolve. And it might just be you take a test, and you're now accredited, it doesn't matter if you won the lottery or you make 200,000 a year. And uh, a legal crypto framework is going to happen, I think, at the same time. So those regulations combined are going to empower really interesting capital formation uh, on a global basis, whether it's running a syndicate with everybody in the world, including non accredited investors or DAOs or those two things merging. Uh, or as Balaji is talking about, you know, a cap table over here that's mirrored on a blockchain at the same time and people being able to trade their interest in Chamat's fund or Sax's fund or one of my syndicates with tokens on the internet. And that could become that's pretty cool. uh, a major unlock where, you know, if you were in I don't have social. a fund. I run a meager family office. Well, if you were in your earlier funds and somebody and there was still stuff trickling to Social Capital 3 the people who have that could sell it back to you or sell it to each other if they wanted to get liquidity. Um, and that's going to be super interesting, especially if it can happen just globally, where some person in China decides they want to have access to US uh, funds, RLPs could just start selling. If it was structured that way, most anticipated film, TV series, media, yada, yada for 2022. What do you got Yellowstone season nine, uh, Sachs? <laughs> So I watched the first two episodes. It's really great. I mean, you forget what a great actor, um, what's his name is? Uh, Kevin Costner. Kevin yeah, Costner yeah. is a great actor. Yes. Ye- Yellowstone is great. I'll be watching next season. But what I had down here is Thor Ragnarok, uh, the writer, director, oh, Taika yeah. Waititi is back. If you saw um, the last Thor movie. Ragnarok. Ragnarok. Yeah, Ragnarok, Ragnarok was the last, was the last, so last one. The yeah. new so one is called Thor Love and Thunder. Yeah. And, you know, Thor went from being, I think, one of the most boring Marvel characters in the first two movies to totally. being one of the funniest and, yeah. you know, most, most fun in his last movie. So I think that sequel will be really good. And then the other one is they're doing a prequel show for Game of Thrones called House of the Dragon. I'm going to have to watch that. And then the probably the, the um, Star Wars show I'm looking forward to most would be the Obi-Wan Kenobi show with Ewan McGregor. So yes, that and looks Anakin. It's based on Anakin, the Clone Wars. Yeah. And I had as well the Obi-Wan show, the Boba Fett show, and the Mandalorian shows all coming back are going to be absolutely bonkers. And then there's also this um token uh series that's coming out, the prequel, I think, that Amazon spending a billion dollars on. And I think that's landing in 2022. Uh what do you got, Chamath? It is the all in summit <gasps> in uh, May in Miami <laughs> and uh <laughs> the the birth of all in media mm. so i think that we by the end of 2022 will have um published content written content not necessarily by us hmm. whoa but uh other forms of uh media interaction that get the truth out to a wow. large swath of humanity here we go is this That's moving class, is this moving okay. beyond just a couple of besties doing a podcast during lockdown yeah. what what 
What? Wait, so all in media, is that a new acronym? AIM? All in media? AIM. Wow, AIM. Oh, what are we doing? Should we buy like a cable channel and just go 24 hours? AIM is the truth. AIM media. AIM media. Okay, there you go. I didn't even know this is news to the rest of us, but Chamath is building the media, bro. Okay, here we go. Who are we going to hire? Tucker. Um, <laughs> there'll be no shortage of folks who will want to come out of the woodwork to work with us on this. And I think the goal should just well, be to make sure we figure out what the real North star is so that we never deviate. And part of the biggest things that, that we did guys was not trying to hustle for some few, you know, shekels here or there, which was like stupid. Jake Cal wanted to. Yeah. Um, what are you talking about? I said, we're going to we're gonna, we're gonna, we're we're gonna talk bucks. in a minute about the plan for the summer. The purity, yeah. the purity <laughs> of not wrapping this thing with crappy ads and all kinds of nonsense is we've never lost our way. <sighs> we don't need some stupid deal for some crappy media company. We all have independent ways in which we can monetize our lives and our hard work. And so we should come yeah. to this to always tell the truth. I think that that's a one of the I will say one of the great innovations that and decisions that you championed was not putting ads on it. I hear it all the time for people. I mean, we're saving you from yourself, Jake. It's, it's an interesting well, idea whatever. where you I mean, where you is advertising basis. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, if, you, if you have a media show, business that's not driven by advertising dollars and not driven by greater by trying to maximize page views and clicks and visits, yeah. um, then it completely changes the equation of what's possible. I think this was part of the idea of what publicly funded media was supposed to be but it obviously got you know maybe a little Teeter bit too, too far, far afield to left. yeah too, it was it's just too yeah it was just too well then they started adding ads i don't know if you remember that so, they, they lost yeah. some funding and they're like okay we're gonna go for sponsorships they're not ads they're sponsorships and so you're like, saying okay, we're, we're the new pbs <laughs> no it's something different i mean we do this without any expectation of financial reward we do it because we enjoy it and so well except for you jk you've been no i mean i have other things that make money thank you very much I mean, <laughs> jk's doing pretty fucking good right now I didn't know we were doing this category. I will tell you the Abbey season 16 of Downton Abbey. He doesn't watch TV. He doesn't have any. I would like to watch reruns of Doctor Who. What BBC show that nobody watches are you going to recommend? Does it matter? I mean, come on. What show from Finland with subtitles? uh, I don't know. You know, I I spent a lot of time watching um, like esoteric videos and stuff I find on YouTube. I really think it's so interesting. It's such a different way of uh, consuming media. Uh, Just tell us what video game you're playing. Wes Anderson is putting out a porno. It's so similar to Target. It's like looking at a painting. We'll be up a vernacular going up and down. I felt like I was in the Louvre watching this movie. All right. What video game are you playing? I called. Uh, I called Freeberg on the phone to talk him off a ledge when he was going crazy on the group chat. And he's like, I can't talk him on a video game. What video game? I was actually playing a video game by Annapurna Interactive, which is Larry Ellison's daughter's um, media production company. And apparently, I didn't know this, they had a video game arm. And the video games are, uh, and the game I was playing was called Maquette. And um, it, you kind of you kind of have this like interesting movie like poetic experience as you play the game. So it's not really just designed to be action packed. And I don't know. I thought it was a very interesting new way of um, entertaining oneself. Okay, we can move on. It was highly stimulating. He, she made a simulation of a biology lab, and uh, you actually get different beaker sizes, and you have different sub proteins that you start you with. You get to buy all of the lab equipment you want, but it yeah, needs a it's virtual actually, currency. It's kind of like a simulation. It's like the Sims, currency, but with... you must first mine it. 
And the way that you mine is by solving mathematical equations. I made a cruelty-free fish device dish uh, <laughs> in my laboratory because of the genocide of fish. <laughs> that was a little controversial take last week. I got DMs from people. That was uh, a spicy take, Freeberg. Did you get any blowback from that spicy take last week? The spiciest of the I did. I, I'm actually going to respond to everyone that sent me a note directly. <laughs> <laughs> was it really? Because I people are like, you're well. Equating. I think the, the well. Here's the thing. The comment I made that I think really triggered people was I said that um, animal agriculture is worse than human slavery, and uh, maybe I'll just address it now, real quick. Yeah. You know, I think the the point of view that people took away from that was that I diminished you know, the pain and the, the resonance uh, in today's kind of socioeconomic context of uh, human slavery, particularly recently in America. Um, and that wasn't my intention at all. Uh, Clearly um, not your intention, yeah. What I'm trying to highlight is, you know, first of all, human slavery has been around as long as humans have been around, right, for 10,000 years, back to ancient Egypt. The enslavement of humans, the, the, the removal of opportunity and freedom granted to every living being um, is, is certainly manifest in the form of human slavery, and we kind of take it as a very acute pain point. What I was highlighting is every year, over 100 billion land-based animals are killed, and they're born and put in, ch in chains and put in jails, and then murdered and eaten by humans as routine. And we don't like lift our head up and recognize just how serious and how skilled this, this, um, you know, this behavior is. The industrialization of this process uh, it's really abhorrent, and there's videos you can watch, and I think when you watch them, you'll recognize it's not painful. delicious. Yeah, I knew it was coming, Chima. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do it, Chima. And I, no, but I, I do think that Chima's, you know, Chima's voice in this is is really the voice that's kept this from ever becoming an issue. Because it's not human, we don't kind of pay attention to it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just trying to highlight that there is something that is at such an extraordinary scale that we don't pay attention to that one day we'll wake up and we'll be like, oh my God, how do we miss that? I complete agreement with you, Freeberg. If you look at all life being precious, and you say the life of a cow, the life of a dog, the life of a human, these are all lives. The scale of suffering is these animals can problem solve, they can feel emotion, they can Especially recognize pigs, yeah, they can they can recognize things happening to them and to their their loved ones and their family members. And I think that in the context of that, to cause pain and suffering on those animals and on those creatures yeah. at the scale that we do is something that's just mind-blowing to me. I think that's and fair I, enough. And I expect that one day we will wake up and be like, I cannot believe we allowed our society to do that. But I do think that we need to solve Tomas' problem, which is how do you make something that's friggin' delicious? It's not and how a do you problem. make it cheaper? Hold on a second. It's not a problem. Like, my, my perspective is, I understand where you're coming from. I respect your point of view. But here's my point of view, which is, we evolved to superior, superiority in an evolutionary process that was not preordained, okay? And we are now in a position where we are allowed to consume things that we choose. Now, there is also a claim that you could make that, you know what, a tiger or a lion should not be attacking and killing a gazelle because, you know what, that's causing suffering to the gazelle or blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, how we choose to go and consume the things that we need for sustenance is a choice that we can make. And there are probably better choices we can make over time. But at the end of the day, I think that this was uh, a reasonable evolution of humanity and human ingenuity and intellect. And I don't feel guilty about that. When I, don't we, when, weigh, when, yeah. I don't weigh the suffering of animals the same way I weigh the suffering of human beings. I don't. And I would argue that when we were apes in the jungle and we didn't have the choice, I would wholeheartedly agree with you. But today we are a people that do have the choice. 
What choice and it, do we and have? It, and it's because we have the choice to not eat meat and still survive and still be happy that we can but make a better choice. it doesn't taste good. Like there's a part of my soul. I'll just and be that's very why, honest with And you. I agree. And that's why I think we need to solve that problem. And that's why I believe- It's not a problem. If, if you made an alternative for you that tasted good and was as affordable as the alternative, which is actually killing an animal, you would choose it. And we haven't given you that solution yet. And when I say we, I mean, call it the techno food people. But there is a tremendous amount of money going into this area. And we will devise- artificially produced meat that will not be made by killing an animal, but will be made in a lab that looks and tastes identical. Or a piece of sushi. Just give us a year. Over you, You'll us. have a piece of sushi in three years. You will have, right. uh, you will be able to go taste chicken next year. It'll be very, very expensive. Okay. Uh, but uh, cell-based uh, meat will be available. Right, then let's get I think the, at, at a commercial scale within the next five to 10 years. Our, our, you know, steak. That's really what it's about. David, my commitment to you is I will do a taste test whenever you say, what you call the, you you pick the place, the time. Totally. I will show up. And if it's better, I will never eat meat again. Okay. We're not ready. We're not ready for that. And that's a, that's a great commitment. All right. Yeah. yeah. And I, and, and I, I am similar in the commitment. But um, in the meantime, it's not taste. It's distasteful. But I will say, Freeberg, if you're going to have a party and it's only vegan, you need to put that on the invite because I came thinking you were going to feed. Jake oh. came to my party. There was no meat. He was really upset. You he, was no going around, he was going around the, my party, being like, "What the hell is this? There's no meat and in this party. What am I doing I said, here?" Can you make me a hamburger? Yeah. The woman from wherever, made, like Napa, was like, "I've never touched meat in thirty I made years." The most whatever. Incredible ribeye oh. on New Year on Christmas Eve. Oh <laughs> my god, ribeye! All right, everybody, for the dictator himself, Chamath Palihapitiya, with great hair, uh, touch of gray, never looked better. And the Sultan of Science, David Freeberg, and Tucker Carlson's bestie, <laughs> GOP frontrunner, David Sachs, super spreading COVID. Super spreading the truth. Super, super spreading, spreading the, truth. the truth. David Sachs <laughs> from an undisclosed bestie uh, hideaway, uh, which we all know, but we won't say. Uh, I'm Jake Al, and we'll see you in 2022. Bye-bye. It's been a great year. Bye-bye. And it said we open source it to the fans and they've just gone crazy with it. Love you, West Ice Queen of Kinwa. Wait, <laughs> <What? laughs> we need to get merch. Are going all in.